a river of questions Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? I see this life, its valleys and mountains And I think of all the roads that have brought me here Oh, that brought me here my ability to judge wrong from right I've questioned all things that I've ever called certain my race my religion my country my mind but the one thing I don't question is you you really love me like you say you do you really love me like you say you do so Significance, meaning, and relevance. Does the work I'm doing really matter at all? I've questioned my friendships, alliance, dependence, and who will still be here when I fall? I know is that God's love remains, gang, and everything changes in this life, and everything is, we got a bunch of ups and a bunch of downs, but God remains constant. I hope that's a good uh, basic reminder you have all day today. So glad you're here. Let's rise up and let's worship with this new song. Maybe many of you have been uh, singing. It's been on the radio for a few years. David Crowder's Lift Your Head, Weary Sinner. Your head, weary sinner, the river's just ahead. Down the path of forgiveness, salvation's waiting there. And you built a mighty fortress, ten thousand burdens high. Love is here to lift you up. Oh 
is our prayer that you would show us how powerful you are how glorified you are and God today would just be a day that's just so different than any other day during our week thank you God for meeting us here already and inhabiting the praises of your people as we cry out to you it really is a pleasure to worship you Lord in your name we all say it together amen hey before you have a seat say hi to somebody around you we'll see you back in a second thanks 
All right, let's go ahead and have a seat and fix our eyes on the screens and see what's going on in church life. great to be here worshiping the Lord together. And uh, my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And we invite you to be a part of what was taking place in that video through packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. So if you've been around Hopevale for a while, you know that uh, we just, we love this project for its simplicity, but its deep impact for the gospel uh, for kids and families around the world. And so the, the ask and the invite is pretty simple. So we, we just want to invite you to stop by the OCC display in the lobby this morning, pick up an empty shoebox. There are instructions and labels attached to that. And then you would take that box, go to a local store, buy a bunch of toys and school supplies, gifts, things like that for uh, age-appropriate uh, gifts for kids all around the world, and then you would uh, pack everything in the box and bring it back here to the lobby over the, any of the next uh, four following Sundays. This is just a great project, a great opportunity to impact the life of a child and their family with the love of Jesus Christ for them. Very simple gift with a very deep expression of who Christ is in the life of people all over the world. So we would invite you to do that. And hey, if you're a first-time guest with us this morning, just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're glad that you uh, came out uh, to be with us uh, at Hopevale here this morning and just hope that you feel very welcomed and that hopefully you found a place that you can call a church home here with us. And you are more than welcome to participate in this project also. Hey, coming up on Friday, November 3rd, we wanted to make you aware that we, on behalf of the Saginaw Rescue Mission, are hosting uh, Point of Grace concert right here in this auditorium. So if you want to find out more about that or purchase tickets, you can stop by the info desk in the lobby this morning. Well, hey, as we continue on in worship this morning, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to give. Uh, just a quick word about that before we pray. You know, it just it was powerful to stand in the back and just hear the congregational singing of show us your power and show us your glory. You know, and that really is our heart and prayer together here at Hopevale, that God would reveal himself more and more, not only to us personally, but to the world around us as well. And so it's with that perspective in mind that, that we give back to the Lord so that his glory here on this earth can be spread and experienced by more and more people who need to know and love and experience the love that Jesus has for them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to freely gather and worship you. God, you deserve all of our praise, all of the glory that we want to uh, direct to you. God, you are worthy of it. And Lord, it is uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to serve you with our lives. And so God, 
from the outpouring of what you have done for us, we just give back a portion of that to you so that your glory can be experienced more and more here on this earth, and in particular by people who have not heard the power of your grace and your love and your forgiveness that you offer to each and every person who walks on this earth. And God, as we said, it's to that end that we give back to you. And so God, would you just take and use these gifts and offerings to spread this gospel message with those around us. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody. My name is Billy. I'm the worship pastor here. Glad you guys are here today. If, uh, if it is your first time, certainly want to welcome you. Oakvale is a big enough place to where we know that people um, come in and check us out all the time and don't know what kind of uh, church you're looking for, but uh, we hope you certainly hope you find it and uh, as you're in your pursuit for worshiping God and learning more about Him. So glad you're here. It's a good day to be here. Hey, um, Pastor Dan is going to be uh, starting a sermon series today, and his sermon title is the sermon series title, Back to Basics. And um, uh, it made me think about coming into this kind of a day, you know, where we kind of get back to basics and go back to simple things and kind of strip things away. Usually, typically, on a Sunday, we've got drums roaring and lights moving and different things happening that inspire us in our worship and help us sing out to God even more. But, you know, I, I thought about, geez, I don't know, a few hundred years ago and for electricity and, you know, just uh, what was that like? What did people do when they gathered? They probably just, somebody brought a guitar or somebody sat down on an organ or a piano or something, and they, it was a sort of a simple thing. So I thought, well, let's just get simple this morning and just kind of have a simple, basic day where we just, it's all about worship and it's all about God. And it's all about pausing. It's all about reflecting. And it's all about just getting back to the basics as, as we're led in, our, in the Word today, too, with Pastor Dan. Uh, Any worship team members in here today? Raise your hand. Raise them high so I can see you. Are you here today? You all playing hooky because you're not on the worship team? Yeah. So um, I tell you what, uh, you'll notice I've got some uh, special guests joining me here today. Uh, They don't know they're about to join me. So in the the spirit of keeping things simple and keeping things sort of maybe like it was a few hundred years ago, uh, come on up and join me. I need a few singers. I need a couple of... Uh, and percussion players. You have to be part of the worship team, though, because if you're not, I'll shoo you. So you raised hands. I saw you. Is George over there? Get over here, George. Grab a microphone. Who else is in here? Somebody else is getting up. There's a drummer. Nice. Who else we have in here? Got some more people? Need another singer or two. If my wife's in here, tap her on the shoulder. Tell her, hey, lady. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's stand up as we're gathering for worship. sing this together. Your love is devoted. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. And your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today. Faithful you have been, faithful you will be, you pledge yourself to me, and that's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, 
ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Father, the orphan, your kindness makes us whole, and you shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you, clothing me in white, bring beauty from ashes, for you will have your bride, free of all her sins. And rid of all her shame And known by her true name That's why I sing Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, you will be praised, you will be praised, with angels and saints we sing worthy are you Lord, you will be praised, you will be praised, with angels and saints we sing
this out, church. We know this so well. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, let's sing. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Yes. 
being still before you, God. Some about just taking in your presence with friends. Thank you for Psalm 4610 that says, be still, know that I'm God. So we're still today. We're expectant today. Would you bring us back to the heart of the matter today? Back to basics. In Jesus' name, we all pray and say, amen. Bless you, have a seat, Gabe. Good morning. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopewell. What a special morning of worship led by Billy, just really making things simple, getting to the basics. And as Billy said, we're starting a new message series today. Uh, before we get to that, I uh, want to put a bow on some of the things we talked about last week, even the last four weeks. We wrapped up last Sunday's series called Vision, and part of the core message of this vision series was the news that beginning in February of 2018, we are going to start a Hopewell Church in Bay City, and God is stirring and working this God-glorifying, gospel-centered, mission-driven effort to have one church, Hopewell Church, in two locations. Now, uh, as a follow-up to last Sunday, uh, that afternoon here in the auditorium, and then later on during the week at John Glenn High School, we had some town hall informational meetings. Here's a snapshot of what happened at John Glenn last Wednesday night. We probably had 80 to 100 people here. We met in their cafeteria. Great turnout of kind of some long-timers and some newcomers, and just a lot of momentum is really building, which leads to today that as we're gathered in this room, just over to my right in the venue, uh, there's over 100 people, I stuck my head in there uh, earlier, to, to, to be part of a core gathering. So these are the people who are interested in being part of the Hopewell Church that's going to begin in Bay City in February of 2018. And so God is pulling people together of all ages to begin this work. So the core gathering is today, and then next Sunday, we're going to launch a series uh, of Sundays where we are going to have pre-launch services. So while we are worshiping in here at 9.30, they will be worshiping in the venue, live worship, live pastoral moments, and then when it comes time for the message, we'll stream that live via video from here into there. So it's going to be an experiment that we're all going to partake in together, working on the timing and 
working on that. So it is great to see this group gathering. If you were here last week, um, you received a card that looks like this. If you weren't, I want to draw your attention to this because we have extras out in the lobby. Uh, this is an involvement card, a serving card about Hopevale in Bay City that talks about you want to be part of the team, so you're going to go and stay. Or others of you whose long-term plans are to stay here at Hopevale in Saginaw, some are willing to start there and maybe give serving in Hopevale Bay City a year or some of your Sundays. And so you can see this card. It's got a name, email address, and then you can check the appropriate boxes. We would love for you to fill that out. And like I said last week, too, there are plenty of other serving needs here in Saginaw that we'll be talking about that certainly are going to open up even more as we send that group of people to Bay City. Uh, there's also a giving challenge that we issued last week as well that is part of our historic Christmas outreach offering where we give to minister to people outside the four walls of the church. We're expanding that giving window this year from October 15th, that's today, through the end of the year, so that in your giving, above and beyond what you regularly give, we would continue to fund local and global ministry projects like we have with the Christmas Outreach Offering, but we would also use those funds to help launch Hopevale in Bay City. We are, our, our goal is $350,000. It's a little over, over double of what we received last year and want to encourage you to participate in that. We have giving envelopes that look like this. They're available out in the lobby. You might have picked one up uh, this past, or past Sunday. You can also check those out. And then also, if you get online, if you go to our homepage up in the right-hand corner under the Give tab, there is a link for the Christmas Outreach Offering, which will take you to this page. You can read more about this endeavor and give securely online. So that's what's happening here. We're going to be talking about it again week after week, Sunday by Sunday, because this is something we're doing together. Even if you are staying put in Saginaw, one church, two locations, all part of what it means to be a community of grace and truth that is inviting other people to know and follow Jesus with us. Well, as we kick things off today in our new message series, I want to ask you uh, a question, okay? Actually, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. They're kind of icebreaker questions, so here they are. Take a look. Uh, what was, or if you're still in school, what is your favorite academic subject in high school, okay? Or in just school in general. What was, or if you're in school, is your favorite academic subject in school? And then what was, or is, your least favorite academic subject in school? Now, um, I'm going to have you talk to each other, and I know we have some teachers here, so you might want to find out if you're talking to a teacher, because if you say your least favorite was what they taught, it might not be pretty. So. so you can see some examples here. We've got math, science, English, history, foreign language, and other. Um, I was just going to say what was your favorite subject, but this looks like a lunch and recess crowd, so I thought let's get a little more specific, right? So go ahead, turn around to someone by you, and just say, ask and answer those two questions. We'll take a moment to do that, okay?
Well, there, there is a lot of conversation going on. I just, I just wanted you to, to share your answers. This wasn't a therapy session, okay? So, if, yeah, okay. All right, just show of hands here. How many of you said that math was your favorite? Raise your hands. Keep them up. One, two, three, four. Actually, if one of you math people could count the hands, that would be great, okay. Uh, how many of you said science? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of people who like cutting up frogs. Okay, that's pretty sick, but okay. That's good. Uh, how many of you said English? Good. Okay, so English wasn't my favorite, and just to kind of tweak you, I was going to word that first question, what was your most favorite subject? Because I know that's not grammatically correct, so yes. And even now you're like, no, no, no. Uh, history? Okay, good. Uh, foreign language, other? Any? Any? Not a lot of you, okay. You know, you, you probably were like my Spanish teacher because you refused to answer the question because I didn't say it in Spanish, right? You had a teacher like that? In Espanol, por favor, Danielle. I'm like, okay, okay. Donde esta el baño, right? I mean, that's like, that's where's the bathroom in Spanish. That's about all I remember. We all had our favorites, right? And while I'm not going to go down the list of least favorites, I do want to just pull you on this one. Um, when it comes to least favorites, how many of you said history? Yeah. Yeah, you know, for a long time, I didn't like history either, and probably for the same reasons you didn't. Like history in school for a lot, not every teacher, but for a lot of teachers, there was so much memorization and so little connection, right? So much memorization, so little connection. Memorize these 10 important dates. Memorize this list of countries. Memorize the list and names of presidents or kings or whatever. And so you cram the night before. You know how it goes, right? Show up for the test the next day. You mentally regurgitate what's up here on the paper down here and hope you get it right. And then the kicker is literally by the end of the day, you can't even recall half of what you studied, right? Right? And so if that's what you remember about history, no wonder it was your least favorite subject. That's why every generation of students says things like, why do I need to know this? Or I'm never going to use this once I'm out of school, right? You said it growing up. If you're a parent, you've heard your kids say it too. So much memorization and so little connection. And that's where I was for a long time when it came to history until, until I came across some teachers and some authors who showed me the connections, right? the significance, the relevance of history to my life, of my well-being, of my happiness, of my success. And after a while, I grew an appreciation for the timeless wisdom and the lasting lessons that history can teach us if we're willing to listen. And so even though we live in an unprecedented age of innovation, you know, King Solomon was right when he said that there really isn't anything new under the sun. So yes, despite breakthrough technologies and countless new inventions, we have today that there are these enduring themes right, that have lasted over the course of time that speak to the things that we deeply care about, things like human behavior and why some people live joyful and fulfilling lives, why others don't, or um, religious instinct and why is it that we as human beings either pursue or repress our longings for God. 
And quite frankly, if we're honest, these are the things that matter most, not technology, not inventions. And so when it comes to history, you know, if we can move past memorization and toward connection, then we can really learn a lot about our lives going forward if we're first willing to take a look at the past. Well, those quick thoughts about history are the background for this new series we're calling Back to Basics. Back to Basics. It is a look in the past. We are going to do a little digging into some history, but we're going to do it because I really believe it has significance, incredible significance in the lives of every single person in the room here today. And like I said last week, I realize that no two of us in here are alike. We've got newcomers, we've got long-timers, we've got the hardly connected and the highly connected when it comes to Hope L. And then spiritually, we're all over the map. We have the spiritually skeptical, the spiritually searching, the spiritually straying, the spiritually thriving, and maybe the spiritually stalled out. And so wherever you are in that mix, I'm glad you're here. You know, my prayer for you is that God will show you something new and fresh and powerful that's really going to make a genuine difference in your life. So let's dive in. Today and over these next six weeks of our series, that as we look at some history, history both in the Bible and beyond the Bible, I can assure you, okay, here we go, I can assure you that there will not be a single written test or a final exam, okay? All right, no written test, no final exam, my promise, right? But, but, then there's always a but, right? I'm going to have you memorize one date. All right, that's all, one date. The date is this, here you go, take a look. October 31st, 1517. October 31st, 1517. Now we look at that date, October 31st, and the first thing we think of is what? Halloween. Halloween. Costumes, candy, trick-or-treating, more candy. And while that is true about October 31st in general, that's not the significance of this particular date, October 31st, 1517. Now before I give you the answer, of why this is significant, I need the math people in the room to help me out, right? So when you see the year 1517, this ancient date from long ago, why would that number be so important to us today? 500 years, 500 years. Some of you are like, yeah, 500 years. (laughs) Which means that in just 16 days on October 31st, 2017, we are going to hit the 500th anniversary of this historical event, 500 years. It's pretty cool that we're living at a time when we get to hit such a significant milestone. And so the question is, and you're probably already here, okay, Pastor Dan, come on, get to it. What happened on October 31st, 1517? Well, are you ready? Here it is. The Protestant Reformation began. The Protestant Reformation began, and some of you are like, really? That's it? That's the best you got? I thought you were going to tell me that's when Halloween started, or something really cool like the invention of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, right? (laughs) Well, I hate to disappoint you. We are actually commemorating the 500th anniversary of something that, yes, on the surface sounds incredibly dull and irrelevant, but if we're willing to dig deeper, we're going to find out that this day in history is one of the most significant dates ever. It really is, especially in terms of connection, in terms of the timeless wisdom you and I need to live a fulfilling life. So what was the Protestant Reformation all about, and why is this one date so significant? Well, before we dive into the historical details of what happened back then, I first just want us to think about this phrase itself, okay? Protestant 
Reformation, Protestant Reformation. Now, you've got to admit, those are two big words with a lot of syllables. So let's break it down, okay? Let's start with the word Protestant. What is the smaller and more common word in the word Protestant? Protest, right, protest. And why do people protest? People protest because they see something happening in the world around them, and they think to themselves, this ain't right. This ain't right. And yes, that is my second tweak to you English people, right? Throwing that ain't in there. Just got to understand that ain't is one of my most favorite words, so it just all kind of ties together. This ain't right. People protest, people march, people demonstrate, people kneel during the national anthem. Why? Because they want to make a public statement. against some kind of injustice they see going on in the world, something that they see and they feel deeply inside, and so for them to do nothing is simply not an option. And I bring the national anthem up, example up, not to go deeper into that controversy, but just to show you whether it's that today or the civil rights marches of 50 years ago or this event 500 years ago, protesting injustice has always been a part of history. And so the Protestant Reformation has to do with a protest of some kind. And what about this other word, Reformation? What is the smaller and more common word you see there? Reform. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are good. You have set the bar for 1115. I'm just telling you right now, right? Reform. And the idea behind reform builds upon the idea of protest, doesn't it? Because you not only want to call out injustice, but you're also trying to bring about some change. This ain't right, and something's got to change. So that's what the Protestant Reformation was all about. It was about protest and reform. So here's the million-dollar question then, right? What was going on back in 1517 that wasn't right? What was it that needed to change? After all, if you're going to celebrate the 500th anniversary of something, then this event had to be a pretty big deal. And it was. See, both the protest and the call to reform had to do with religion and God and people and how people back then, but also people today like us, understand what it means to have a personal relationship with the eternal and almighty God who created us. That's why this moment in history, October 31st, 1517, is so significant. So for the rest of our time together today, as we kick this series off, I want to do two things. First, I want to talk more about what was going on back then with the Protestant Reformation. I think you're going to find it's a pretty fascinating story. But then second, I want to build a bridge from back then to today and help you see why this event is incredibly relevant for your own life. So let's go back in time. Let's set the stage, but we're actually not going to go back 500 years. We're going to go back 2,000 years, back to the time of Jesus Christ. Christianity has taught, history has proven, that a man known as Jesus of Nazareth lived in the Galilean region of the Roman Empire during the first century. And in the last three years of his life, this Jesus of Nazareth performed many miracles. He taught insightful truths to announce that the kingdom of God was now at hand here on earth. Jesus, however, was viewed as a troublemaker by religious leaders of his day, and this in turn led him to be arrested, convicted, sentenced to death, and eventually crucified. But the story didn't end there, did it? Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. 
He lived another 50 days here on earth and was seen by hundreds. And this final resurrection miracle with plenty of eyewitnesses validated everything about Jesus, who he was, what he did, and why he came. That's why there is so much power. There's so much truth in the words spoken about Jesus, like this famous verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. Many of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus of Nazareth, this historical figure, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That the story of Jesus is a story of love. God so loved the world. God's love expressed to us through his son, our savior, Jesus. The story of Jesus is also a story of life, this verse says. Eternal life, forgiven life. A life that is spared from perishing forever because Jesus died in our place for our sins. A story of love, a story of life, and the story of Jesus is a story of belief. Simple belief, wholehearted faith in Jesus of Nazareth, that he was and still is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of mankind. And so the life and the love that Jesus came to bring is still available to us 2,000 years later if we personally and just simply believe. That's what the Bible says. It's the heart of Christianity. That's how it all began. And it's really not all that complicated, is it? Love, life, simple belief. And so after the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus back into heaven, the New Testament tells us where things went from there. So look at this diagram. From there, that after Jesus, the apostles, so these are his original disciples plus a few other eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, they spread the good news of simple belief in his love and his life throughout the Middle East and the Roman Empire. This is how the church began, this scattered collection of Jesus followers who assembled locally to worship God, to love one another, and to serve those around them in the name of Jesus. That's how Christianity got its start. And so from there then, the Christian church for the next thousand years continued to grow and spread. Now, there were ups and downs along the way in those first thousand years, but overall it certainly had become much bigger and much more established than it was back in the first century. And things continued on that way until the year 1054 when an event known as the Great Schism occurred where the Christian church split into two factions, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, right? Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church. It was a split caused by things like leadership conflict and theological differences. And when that split occurred, the Roman Catholic Church became the bigger and more dominant of the two. That's why I have it underlined here. And so for the next 500 years afterwards, then, the Roman Catholic Church continued to grow in its authority and influence. And so if you wanted to know about Christianity back then, if you wanted to follow Jesus, if you wanted to worship God, the church had the final and really the only say in the matter. On top of that, the church in the Middle Ages wielded power not just religiously, but also financially and politically. Remember, this isn't the age of democracy. This is the age of monarchy. So the average person pretty much just has to do what they're told. Now, let me be clear. I say all that not to bash Roman Catholicism in general or individual Catholics in particular. I have met a lot of good people and genuine Christians through the years who worship 
in Catholic churches. Now, I say that to paint a picture of the way things were 500 years ago and to give you the context for the Protestant Reformation. So remember those questions I asked earlier, what needed protesting, what needed reforming? Well, unfortunately, Christianity at this point had drifted far away from the message of simple belief in Jesus. Drifted far away from the message of simple belief in Jesus. No, religion had become much more complicated than that. Complicated, contorted, and convoluted. It really had. And while there are many examples I could give you, there's one story in particular that I want to tell you about. It's the story of a man named Johann Tetzel. Johann Tetzel was an influential European leader in the church, and at one time, he held the title of Grand Inquisitor of Heresy for Poland, which means that if you question the church and its beliefs, and they found out, Johann and his men would come make a visit to your house. They would investigate, interrogate, and likely imprison you for your heretical views. Later on, Johann became something known as the Grand Commissioner for Indulgences in Germany. Now, pay attention to this, because that word indulgences is really important to understand. See, back then, it was taught that you could essentially buy God's forgiveness for your departed loved ones in exchange for money. You could buy God's forgiveness for your departed loved ones in exchange for money. That's what an indulgence was. The belief went something like this, that Jesus and Mary and the saints of old did so many good works in their lifetime that there was this excess goodness or leftover merit that was available to the rest of us. And the belief was it's a good thing that was available because normal folk like you and me, we're not going to live as good as they did, so we are going to have to pay penance for our sins, we're going to have to suffer some kind of temporary punishment, punishment that if it's not completed in this lifetime, then it's something that we're going to have to endure in a place of suffering called purgatory. And we go through that suffering until our moral debt is fulfilled. Needless to say, purgatory is not a fun future to look forward to, right? There was, however, an alternative. And that alternative was indulgences. And so the belief was that if you made a financial contribution to the church, the church which held all these leftover good works from Jesus, from Mary, from the saints of old, the church would in turn give you an indulgence, which meant that yours or your loved one's time of punishment would be shortened. Pay the money, reduce your time in purgatory. And so at a time in Christianity when religious belief was superstitious and terrifying, Johann Tetzel played on people's fears as the grand commissioner of indulgences. History tells us that his most famous saying went something like this, as soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. Soon as the gold in the casket rings, when you reach in and put your gold coins into the offertory, the rescued soul to heaven springs, you're buying that forgiveness by giving money to the church. I'm not making this up. And imagine the religious authorities in your life, the ones speaking to you on behalf of God, telling you that your dear mother, that your departed spouse, that your beloved child who had died at a very young age before you, which happened a lot back then, that they in this very moment were burning in the flames of purgatory, but that if you gave some money to the church, you could help alleviate their suffering. How does that strike you? 
I mean, really, what do you think? I mean, compare that to the words we read earlier from John 3.16. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, this ain't right. Something's got to change. How did they get from whoever believes in Jesus shall have eternal life? How did they get from that to as soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven's springs? I mean, to me, that is just crazy town, right? Don't you think? And see, my bet is that there were a lot of people back then who thought and felt the same way too. But they were told they were wrong. They were told they had to play by the rules by people who were smarter, richer, more powerful, more prominent than they were. Not only that, but if you fell out of line, you would incur the wrath of officials with titles like the Grand Inquisitor of Heresy, who would put you back in your place or else. I mean, what a helpless, what a desperate feeling that must have been. And that's the way things were in Christianity back in the early 1500s until, until a group of people started to speak up. Now, the Protestant Reformation is the story of many individuals, not just one. And yet there's one particular person who fired the first shot, so to speak. His name was Martin Luther. Now, just to be clear, and I'm, I'm really serious about this, I, I am, that people sometimes confuse his name with a name that is more familiar to us as 21st century Americans, and that name would be what? Martin Luther King Jr., right? The great African-American pastor and civil rights leader from back in the 60s. Both are important historical figures, but they're not the same person. So the man back in the 1500s is simply Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a German priest in the Roman Catholic Church. He had a genuine desire to love God, to follow Jesus, but he was also plagued. He was plagued by a haunting fear of a holy God, plagued by a paralyzing shame over his own sins and failures. And so the harder that Martin Luther would try to live a God-pleasing life and overcome his fallen sinful nature, the more he would mess up. And that then in turn would plummet him into a deep, dark depression. It was a horrible place for him to be. Well, the turning point for him came when he was studying the New Testament book of Romans. And as he's pouring over the words of the Apostle Paul, one verse in particular just grabs him by the throat and it changes his life forever. Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, not by works, not by indulgences. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, Paul does, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. He kept reading this over and over, Luther did, and the light bulb came on. That Paul is speaking about a righteousness, a forgiveness, a personal holiness that God in his grace offers to anyone and everyone who would receive it by faith, by simple belief. That now because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to a holy and righteous God, not because of what we actively achieve, but rather because of what we passively receive. That when the perfect righteousness of Jesus becomes ours, it's through simple belief in him. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that the righteous will live by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Well, this moment not only changed his life, but also opened his eyes stirred his heart to be genuinely disturbed by what was going on around him in the state of Christianity at that time. This ain't right, he says. Something's got to change. And so like a lot of us, his first move was to go through usual channels. 
talk to his peers, talk to his superiors. After all, if the absurdity of selling indulgences was so obvious to him, they must have seen what was going on too, right? Wrong. That's not what happened. No, the more he talked, the harder he tried, the greater they resisted. And after a while, the powers that be shut him out completely. Martin Luther was labeled a heretic, a troublemaker, an outcast. And so with nowhere else to turn, Martin Luther went public. And he protested. And on October 31st, 1517, there's our date, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the front door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. The 95 Theses, where he calls out the injustices of the Roman Catholic Church selling indulgences as a contradiction to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the clear teachings of Scripture. It's called the 95 Theses because Martin Luther listed 95 different points of contention, contention to call out the abuses he saw. In his language, boy, he didn't pull any punches. He said, you know, how is it that pious people in purgatory can possibly be redeemed by the money of impious people here on earth? Or why does the Pope who is so very rich require money from the poor to build St. Peter's Church in Rome? Or are indulgences really necessary for Christians to receive all the benefits of salvation that are provided to us by Jesus Christ? And though the answers to those questions might seem pretty obvious to us as Christians today, back then, no way. Well, the story goes on. Martin Luther becomes a villain to some becomes a hero to others. Also, this time in history coincides with the invention of the printing press. And so his 95 theses are are, are copied in mass, they're distributed widely. And so Christians in other parts of Europe were also rising up. They were also asking questions, and pretty soon the message of love, the message of life, the message of simple belief in Jesus was returning to Christianity. And so here we are, 500 years later, and we are blessed because of this Reformation. That's what happened 500 years ago, October 31st, 1517, the Protestant Reformation. It began simply as an attempt to bring Christianity back to basics. Back to basics, back to the simplicity of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Back to basics. And so today and going forward in this series, a couple lessons we can learn from the Reformation. The first is this, we should be grateful. Grateful for faithful Christians who have gone before us. And when I say faithful Christians, I don't just mean the apostles of 2,000 years ago or the reformers like Martin Luther of 500 years ago. No, I'm talking about every man and woman who has stayed true to Jesus Christ and they kept it basic for us, especially those who've had significant impact on our own lives. I'm sure if I took a survey, you have someone like that, or maybe many individuals like that, maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, an older neighbor, a family friend, a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, anyone in your past who didn't make religion complicated, but instead they shared the simple love of Jesus with you. And they did it in both what they said and also how they lived. So let this message, let this service lead you to a place of being grateful, of thanking God, of thanking others for those who've gone before us and just kept it basic. And so when we look at the Protestant Reformation, we should not only be grateful, but we should also stay guarded. 
Stegardo, we've been talking about history this morning, and one of the most famous quotes about history, I'm sure many of you have heard this before, is this. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. They're doomed to repeat it. See, here's the challenge for us. Even today, even in 2017, we are always going to face pressures and temptations that want to pull us away from the basics. We're always going to face pressures and temptations that want to pull us away from the basics and turn Christianity into something else that it was never intended to be. So we look back at the story of Johann Tetzel and Martin Luther and think to ourselves, well, I'd never fall for that. But that's rather easy to say 500 years later. And it's also pretty naive to think that there aren't any distractions to our faith today, because there are. Things like, mm, I don't know, Christians getting too caught up in partisan politics and making the other enemy, other side your enemy. Or caring too much about some Bible teacher's spin on prophecy and the end times and letting that consume your life. Or thinking that God somehow owes you material prosperity because you sent money into a prominent TV preacher. Or just having the kind of faith where you major on the minors and you get in people's faces over some secondary point about the Bible. We can get passionate about these things. They can pull us away, but in that passion, we can lose sight of the basics. Look at these words from the Apostle Paul going all the way back to the first century. 2 Corinthians chapter, 13, chapter 11, verse 3. I'll close with this, that in speaking to Christians in the Greek city of Corinth, this is about the dangers of false teachers and other distractions. Paul says this, he says, I'm afraid, I'm worried, I'm concerned about you Christians, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, going back to the garden, right, Genesis 3, your minds may somehow be led astray, now look at this phrase, from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul says, I'm worried, I'm worried that you're going to drift away from the basics, that something else is going to catch your fancy, and you're going to think that the Christian faith is all about that, instead of this wonderful phrase, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's why it is so important to be grateful and yet to stay guarded. Because even in a service like this, you know, simple, stripped down, basic worship, I mean, it really leads us to ask the question, do you today, do you have a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ? I'm not asking whether or not you identify as a Christian. I'm not asking how long you've attended Hopewell. I'm not asking about the kind of family you grew up in and whether you went to church a lot. I'm not asking if you had some kind of experience years ago at a summer camp or a church service. No, I'm simply asking today, right now in this room, do you have a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ? Is that at the core of who you are? Because if you don't, then you're missing the mark of what basic Christianity is all about. Now, some of you here... That may not be you because you're consciously choosing that. You're just maybe still thinking this Christianity thing through. Maybe you've been burned by past church experiences in the past. So you go, no, I don't have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ because that's just not where I, if that's, I, I can respect that if that's a conscious choice you're making. But others of you may have been led astray slowly, subtly over time where yours is no longer a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, but rather it's a counterfeit Christianity masses the real thing. Or maybe the actions of faith have replaced the sincerity of faith. If that's you, you need to recognize that. You need to seek the Lord, and you need to get to back to basics once again. And for those of us who think we are, 
in a place of sincere and pure devotion to Christ, then we need to be grateful and we need to stay guarded. Grateful and guarded, because wherever we are today, God always invites us. He invites us back to the message of John 3.16, a message of love, a message of life that comes to us through simple belief in Jesus Christ. See, that is our commitment here at Hope Vale, to stick to the basics, and whether it's here or whether it's in Bay City, so that we can invite other people to know and follow Jesus with us. And so as a way to affirm that as a church, let's stand, we're going to pray together, and then we'll respond with a song of worship. Let's pray. Lord, there's been something very um, peaceful, uh, inviting about the service today. The songs have been powerful. The message has been straightforward. And in a world that is so complicated, not just uh, Christian faith, but just life in general, it is so refreshing to be called back to the basics. Lord, we have such a wide diversity of people in this room, uh, and not just you know, how they appear on the outside, but what's going on in their hearts on the inside. And God, wherever we may be, may we take a step closer to that goal of what it is to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If we need to talk to you about it, Lord, and just say, man, I've been straying, or I've just been hard and cold and indifferent, or I really have been caught up and led astray, lead us back. Lead us back to the life, to the love, that's found in simple belief in Jesus. Because Jesus, it's all about you, our life, this church, everything we're doing. Because there will come a day when we see you face to face. Until that time comes, may our devotion grow more sincere and more pure because you alone are worthy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Dan prayed there will come a day when we'll see the Lord face to face. And this is only the beginning, this life, gang. You know, there's an eternity that we'll spend. And, uh, Apostle John had a vision of, of heaven in the throne room. And, and um, in that vision, he saw creatures and saints and uh, those who have gone before us worshiping the Lord in such a way uh, that was just overwhelming and powerful for him. So we're going to sing this song that all of us know out of Revelation 4 and 5 that, that maybe we'll join in this song, this heaven song someday. Um, uh, let's worship together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain.
Sing. 
the Jesus we worship is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when we tell him, I will adore you, that's what sincere and pure devotion to Jesus is all about. And that's why we need to get back to basics. Next week, we'll continue this series and learn more about what the basics are all about. But as you go, may you go basking in the great love that our Savior has for you. God bless you.